The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, I suspect for every one of us, this is a different Easter from any Easter celebration we have ever experienced. And I hope and pray that it is different from any Easter celebration that we ever experience again. I mean, just think, if I had told you at this time last year that at the next Easter you would be watching St. Matthias 2020 Easter service over the internet or listening to it over the phone, you probably wouldn't have believed me. And I'm sure you certainly wouldn't have been pleased at the prospect of it. In a typical year, Easter morning here at St. Matthias features a chancel and sanctuary adorned with many more flowers, everyone coming together dressed in their Sunday best, their Easter Sunday best. 
embracing and greeting one another. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. In a worship service, culminating in the reception of Holy Communion by our risen Lord. So this year, things must surely feel much more understated. As you're watching or listening through some electronic device of some sort, gathered surely, hopefully, with no more than a handful of people, or maybe with no one else at all, and knowing that in today's service, you won't be able to receive Holy Communion. In light of all of this, some might be tempted then to lament that this is surely no way to celebrate Easter, and understandably so. But to the contrary, I would suggest that Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today, it is made for times just like this. In fact, the way we experience Easter today, perhaps with mixed emotions, may have much more in common with the experience of Jesus' followers on that first Easter than our usual annual celebration of Easter does. Judging by the gospel account we just read of that first Easter, it was most certainly a day filled with all variety of emotions for Jesus' followers, both positive and negative. We must remember that the 20th chapter of John opens after Jesus' followers have just experienced the most traumatic few days of their lives as their beloved teacher and rabbi was betrayed by one of their own, convicted in a sham trial before being turned over to Rome for a horrific execution. And since that Friday, Jesus' family and followers have been holed up in their homes. In Jewish culture, it was customary that whenever anyone died, their closest kin would remain in their home for a period of seven days of mourning. But in the case of Jesus' disciples and followers, there was the additional fear for their lives. Having been successful at getting the Romans to crucify Jesus, might the Jewish leaders next be coming for them? His followers next? So you might say that everyone associated with Jesus has been sheltering in place. And when our passage opens, the only reason Mary Magdalene is going out from her home on Sunday morning is to take care of some essential business. This is because the initial measures taken to bury Jesus' body on Good Friday were only preliminary measures. Because they needed to be completed before sundown on Friday when the Jewish Sabbath would begin. Therefore, the more complete burial rituals would have, ha would have to wait until sometime after that Sabbath ended at sundown on Saturday. And so, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene goes to Jesus' tomb to complete the burial work that had been left unfinished. But when she arrives, 
she sees the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, not having to live through that moment ourselves, but getting to read about it 2,000 years after the fact, we know that this stone has been taken away because Jesus has risen from the dead. But this possibility does not seem to be on Mary's radar. So when she finds the stone rolled away from the tomb, it is not cause for joy, but instead it increases her distress. Mary clearly believes Jesus' body has been stolen from the tomb by robbers, which was not uncommon in those days. As John tells it, after this, Mary goes to Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how the gospel writer John refers to himself in his gospel. Mary goes to Peter and John in verse 2 and says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter and John run to the tomb. First, Peter stoops to look in, and then he and John both go in and see that Jesus' body is gone. But when verse 8 says John saw and believed, this means that he believed what Mary had said, that Jesus' body was gone, perhaps taken. Not that, that he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. 4 verse 9 explains, as yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. In other words, when John describes he and Peter going back to their homes in verse 10, if they're not devastated like Mary seems to be, at the very least they remain confused about what exactly has transpired. Meanwhile, Mary remains standing outside the tomb weeping and wondering, when will this living nightmare ever end? And yet while she is still weeping, Mary stoops to look inside the tomb. And seemingly for her, this is the first time she does so. And she sees two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say to her in verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? And still not understanding what has happened, Mary says to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. And then Mary turns around to see Jesus standing there. But with eyes still full of tears, she still does not know it's him. And he also asks her, woman, why are you weeping? And asks the question, whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she pleads, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I, I will take him away. It is only when Jesus then speaks her name, Mary, that she realizes it is him, that he has risen. Recognizing his voice, she turns back to him and says, Rabboni, Rabbi, teacher. She has watched Jesus die. She's watched him be buried. But now, in the miracle of all miracles, he is alive. 
And perhaps Mary goes to embrace him, figuring she lost him once, so now she never wants to let him go. But Jesus says, Do not cling to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. See, while the result of Jesus' resurrection is that he is alive and that he will never die again, his ascension, which will end up taking place 40 days later, the result of his ascension will be that henceforth Jesus will reign over this world in all of creation, where before that evil seemed to have triumphed over good. And when 10 days after his ascension, Jesus then sends down his Holy Spirit upon all who believe, this will then make Jesus forever present and always available to any who enter into a spiritual relationship with him through faith. And this all leads us then now to why Easter, why the good news of Jesus' remarkable resurrection is made for times even like we are living through right now in this season of pandemic and sheltering in place. As each one of us is experiencing, in some of the worst cases, fear and extreme isolation, but even in some of the best cases, we're probably experiencing our fair share of stir-craziness and trying to adjust to changes to the life we've been so used to. In all of this, the truth that Jesus is alive, the implications of that, that, that he is at the same time reigning over all of creation, but also personally and intimately available to us through a spiritual relationship of prayer by his Holy Spirit. These truths and our ability to grasp and believe them are of greater consequence than anything else we may be experiencing right now. When later that evening, Jesus comes to the place where his disciples gathered, they were gathered in fear behind locked doors. It is with great purpose that Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. Because this sums up, in many ways, what the risen Lord intends to impart to each one of us as a consequence of his resurrection. Jesus desires to impart to each one of us a genuine, inner, spiritual peace that no one else and no thing else in this world is able to give us. Peace with our fellow man, insofar as it depends on us. Peace with God, in spite of our failures and sin. Peace in all circumstances, even those where our lives may be at risk. Because we know that we are promised eternal life with him who is our wellspring of life, who loves us perfectly and who will never leave us. Only in Jesus can we find any and all of this peace. Now I would suggest that Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and the peace he brings is made for times just like this. When loneliness and fear, depression and anxiety may stalk us closely nearby. 
In fact, perhaps some of Jesus' words to Mary, Mary earlier in the passage are meant for us as well. For example, his first question to her is, why are you weeping? Now, because we don't get to hear Jesus' tone of voice and we're reading it on the page, there are a lot of different ways that we can hear this question, some negative even, perhaps. But I want you to understand that Jesus does not ask this question to condemn Mary for weeping, but in compassion for her weeping. And yet, also wanting her to recognize that things are not as bad as they seem to her in that moment. She thinks her Lord's body's been stolen. In her circumstance, things aren't as bad as they seem. Why? Because he is alive. And there with her. And the same is true for us. I know there are many of us who in the present circumstances have really been hurting, struggling, even more than usual, experiencing loneliness or loss or both. When we feel that way, Jesus wants us to turn to him for comfort, to begin to see our circumstances in the light of his presence with us. Whether we can feel him or not, believing he is with us by faith, And he, our rabbi, wants to teach us to learn how to move forward and not be overcome by these overwhelming feelings. On the other hand, I know there are also some of us who are afraid and anxious about the future, perhaps even angry about the impact of all this pandemic disease and the response to it, the impacts that may have, maybe is already having on the future, financially, from a job standpoint, things we had planned. But when that is the case, we're feeling those things. I believe Jesus' second question to Mary is on point. When he asked her, what are you seeking? Jesus taught in Matthew 6 that we need not be anxious about our needs. Physical needs, spiritual needs, relational needs. Instead, he instructed us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, all those things then will be added unto you. See, it is when we are seeking peace from the world or seeking to secure ourselves apart from God and God's help, that is when the waves of worldly circumstances really can do a doozy on us. When we forget that no matter matter what is happening or happens, Jesus is risen and he is Lord and he will remain with us in all things It's when we fail to remain mindful of that, that he's on the throne, that we find our peace so easily robbed. So while Jesus does promise we will have trouble in this life, 
that we will experience pain and sorrow and fear and anger like Mary and these disciples experienced that very day, he beckons us to turn to him in those moments, to redirect our weeping and our seeking toward him. So moving forward, out of this Easter live stream celebration today after the camera goes off and the sound goes off. Whatever your circumstances are that you find yourself in, whatever struggles, I want to invite you to begin seeing them, looking at them with the risen Jesus in mind, in that picture. Remembering that Jesus is always with us can make times that are either awful or times that are awfully boring, he can transform those times into an opportunity. So if you do believe that Jesus is alive, why don't you ask him as your rabbi to begin to use your unique circumstances to teach you how to enter even more into even more of his peace? Would you do that right now? For many of us in this season, we've been given an opportunity unlike anything we will probably ever experience again in our lives. And for many of us, with, with the extra time and freed up schedule that's been imposed on many of us by these circumstances, we really have a decision to make, or many daily decisions to make. What are we going to do? We could fill that time with just watching more news. I don't recommend it. Or by distracting ourselves till this shelter-in-place thing is, just blows over. Or we could try to remain in the present. We could ask Jesus to show us some exercise of peace, some action toward peace that we could take to redeem this time with him by welcoming more of his peace into our lives. Perhaps this might look like asking God how you could bless someone, even in your sheltering-in-place situation, to give you vision for that. It could mean committing to each day, doing something as simple as reaching out and, and making a call to someone just to see how they're getting along. It might look like trying out one of our remote life groups that are starting this week giving it just a three-week trial and, and bearing with the Zoom nature of it and all that to try to give an opportunity to be connected with the body of Christ, to go deeper with other people. Or it could mean interpersonally opening, opening yourself up to some mentoring or input from another believer who, who has God's peace in some area that you don't feel like you do, but that you want. Whatever you might do, I hope that I hope there's a relational nature to it, that it has some component of making ourselves vulnerable to another. Because that's where God can really do some work of being, bringing his peace, his shalom about for us. Well, in the final verses of our passage, Mary goes and announces to the disciples at this point, likely each still at their own homes, that she has seen the Lord, as well as the other things that he told her to tell them. 
And her testimony is compelling enough that they respond by all gathering together later that evening behind locked doors, everyone but Thomas. And surely they're, they're gathering to confer, confer about what Mary has claimed to discuss. Could, could it really be true? But verse 19 tells us that seemingly before they can even begin discussing whether Jesus is risen, he shows up. So that's settled. Surely they believe now. Well, there's a lot of talk in the church about sharing our faith with others. And rightly so. Just as Jesus commissions Mary here to go and testify to the disciples, he's commissioned each one of us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples and teach others what we've learned about eternal kingdom living. And I'm sure most of us who are believers have at least a few people in particular whom our heart is burdened for. And we may put great effort into praying for them and even strategizing about what we might say given the right moment or opportunity. I want to suggest to you this morning, I believe where we can have the greatest capacity to increase our impact for the gospel is by continuing to progress ourselves in learning how to receive and live in his peace. In the case of the disciples, they were already predisposed to be open to the possibility that what Mary was testifying could testifying about could be true. After all, they had lived with Jesus for going on three years, and they'd heard him at least talk about dying and rising, even if it made little sense to them at the time. But I have to wonder if it was not just what Mary said, but her demeanor, her changed disposition in light of the encounter she just had with Christ, her joy, her peace, that was the greatest witness, greater than any word. That made them think Mary has clearly experienced something, some good and divine reality that we haven't yet. Well, as, I, as we think about our own attempts, maybe, or heart to, for others to know Jesus, I'm going to guess that many of us have found the ground for the seed of the gospel to be not very fertile. Not as fertile as we would hope, but rather maybe hard, hard ground. And maybe we've especially found that with folks who've had a background actually in the church, and but in toxic churches, toxic church environments who, that have caused them to leave the faith behind. The ground's going to be especially hard in this case, these cases, not just because of wounding, but because they probably think they have tried the gospel and found it wanting, when in fact they maybe have been given a very distorted version of it. It has also been pretty well documented that approaches to evangelism that proved to be successful even in the 1980s and 1990s are simply not resonating the same with people anymore. The world is changing that rapidly. And many American Christians 
are not helping the situation. Succumbing to tribalism, grasping for power, hasn't been helping matters for the Christian witness. As those with little to no religious background at all, they see what many Christians are doing and how they're conducting themselves and what's important to them, whether it's the science denying or the lack of empathy, a fearful lack of tolerance of other ideas, a political self-interestedness, even outright gaslighting by many Christians. The unbelieving world sees that and thinks, I don't want any part of that. So as a result of all of this, today's current climate, those of us who believe in seeking to love others into Christ's kingdom rather than to seek to coerce them or manipulate them into it, we clearly have an uphill battle and the deck is stacked against us. Thank goodness the Lord is with us. And while poor witnesses may have turned much of the world off to evangelistic approaches that lead with Jesus, are you saved? Have you heard about Jesus? Do you know where you're going to go if you die tomorrow? Those sorts of things. While much of the world is closed off to that sort of approach, I do think the world around is much more open looking for peace. When they see somebody who has peace in ways they don't, they often want to know how and where they got that. So while praying for other people can be powerful, and there is a time to be explicit about the reason for our hope and to testify without shame about who is the ultimate source of the peace we do have, the place where we can make the most hay and the way our testimony can become much more impactful is not by acquiring better arguments, but by continuing to seek for ourselves to learn how to receive and live in and rest in the never-ending peace that is always on offer from our risen Lord.